Today's global consumer is very clear in their demand for safe, affordable, and sustainable protein. To continue to meet these rising expectations requires both leadership and collaboration with food chain stakeholders, academia, and the veterinary community. Merck Animal Health is pleased to amplify the voices of leaders throughout the protein supply chain here on this podcast, caring for animals and creating trust. Hello, and thank you for joining us for Caring for Animals and Creating Trust. I'm Jane Dukes with the Merck Animal Health Veterinary and Consumer Affairs team, and I'll be hosting today's conversation. August is National Wellness Month, so we're going to dive into an aspect of health and wellness that may be overlooked, and that's our mental health. Over the past 18 months, I think it's safe to say we've all been challenged, and we've learned just how important it is to take care of ourselves mentally, emotionally, and physically. But sometimes it's hard to know what that looks like. As we continue to come out of the COVID-19 pandemic, this topic seems timely. My guests today are Dr. Elizabeth Strand, founding director of veterinary social work at the University of Tennessee College of Veterinary Medicine, and Dr. Judson Vasconcelos, head of the Merck Animal Health Veterinary Consumer Affairs Team. Today, we're going to discuss Merck Animal Health's commitment to the well-being of our communities, and that includes our employees and our customers. And we're looking forward to hearing from Dr. Strand about how we can create a culture of care while also exploring practical tips each of us can use in any walk of life to ensure our mental well-being. Judson, Elizabeth, welcome, and thank you for joining me for this episode of Caring for Animals and Creating Trust. Elizabeth, I know we've spoken before, but I'd love if you would share a little bit more about the work you're doing at the University of Tennessee. Sure. Well, thanks for having me. I'm happy to share about the work at the University of Tennessee You know, we founded the Vet Social Work Program in 2002, and our intention with the program is to understand and to apply social work practice at the intersection of veterinary medicine and social work. And so we take care of the human side of things, we like to say. One aspect of that is grief and loss, you know, at the times of our connections with animals when we have to say goodbye but certainly also the experience of stress and compassion fatigue that we know from the research that Merck has led is something that veterinarians and other veterinary professionals face. So we work to support all human beings in the veterinary setting around lots of topics, including well-being and mental health. That's awesome. And I know you've been a longtime partner of Merck, and specifically, you've worked with us on our veterinary well-being study. Judson, this is a project you've led for Merck. Would you mind sharing a little bit more about the study and how it fits into Merck Animal Health's unconditional commitment to supporting the veterinary profession? Yes, absolutely. Well, first, uh, thank you for having me. It's uh, great to be here to be talking about um, mental health uh, veterinarians. And, uh, you know, it's very important for us to be able to help the veterinary community. And uh, we understand that there are challenges in the veterinary community around uh, well-being Because of that, we have uh, conducted a couple of studies in the last few years that we, uh, Merck Animal Health, has sponsored. We've done uh, the first uh, Merck Animal Health Veterinary uh, Wellbeing Study in 2017, and the second one in 2019, and we are actually conducting our third one. And those studies are really opportunities to really understand what's going on in the veterinary community understand um, what level of psychological uh, distress uh, the veterinarians are facing, 
understand their well-being situation. And we have found uh, some uh, interesting data that do show that there are some concerns around well-being. So we are um, hopeful and we've been working quite a bit on that, trying to identify ways that we can also help the veterinary profession to address some of those concerns. And, and that's all very aligned with our uh, Merck Animal Health strategy of uh, providing unconditional support to the profession. We have a platform that's called Unconditional. And uh, one of the pillars for the Unconditional platform for Merck Animal Health is the respect for the veterinary profession. So we've been um, very happy to be sponsoring and being engaged. And we have some Merck Animal Health colleagues involved in this project and uh, since the very beginning. So we're very happy to be partnering with uh, very high-level professionals such as Dr. Strand to really understand what's happening in the veterinary profession. That's great. And it fits really nicely into the conversation that we're having today. Elizabeth, a term that I heard you use previously was developing a culture of care. And I know at Merck Animal Health, we're all about developing that culture. How would you define this concept? You know, I I think as a social worker, I know that we look at things from a systems perspective. So when an individual is struggling, we never see that as only the individual's responsibility. We always acknowledge that the individual is in an environment and that there's a goodness of fit between the individual and the environment that they're in. And so this idea of a culture of care, I have to be honest, came to me from a former veterinary student of mine and then also a a social work intern that I had this past year. They bristled, both of these young young adults bristled at the idea of self-care because they stated, you know, if one more person tells me that if I just breathe deeply that I will... I'll feel better and I will um, have great resiliency. They really challenged that and said, you know, there's only so much that the individual can do and that we have to actually be living in cultures of care where there are some norms, if you will, in the culture of what is acceptable to talk about, what is acceptable to do, how we look out for each other. A concrete example that I like to share when I'm getting a chance to to share the the absolutely wonderful data that I'm so grateful that Mark has produced through the well-being study is a time when I was I had been seeing several clients all day long and I knew I really needed to get to Zumba. I really needed to get to exercise to take care of my mental health and my physical health and my well-being. And when I I left the building, I had to leave about 15 minutes in advance to get to the class. And I passed by a more seasoned faculty member who who gave me a hard time for leaving early. And so that would be an example of not a culture of care, because what I really needed that veterinarian to say to me was, you've had a big day, you've gotten your work done. I'm so glad that you're taking care of your well-being. So I think that's an example of culture of care when we we look out and support each other's efforts for well-being. Right. So it's not just an individual saying, I need to do this for myself, but it's being within an organization or community that says it's okay to take care of yourself. How do you think this concept applies to a specific industry? For us, you know, we work in agriculture, so it might be farmers and ranchers or veterinarians or allied industry leaders, you know, even in the retail space. How can we help specific industries develop these cultures of care? I really do believe that it becomes a matter of 
having it be acceptable to talk about. So I think right now in environments where we don't have a culture of care, talking about well-being and the basic needs we have for well-being, like sleep and exercise and good social connections, is not a topic that we usually talk about, you know, in our meeting spaces or on the farms between folks that are working together. So I think the first step is, you know, and just to make it very concrete, is even just like a discussion guide or a set of questions that a particular industry or uh, work environment could use to help everyone talk about their well-being in a way that is considered normal and acceptable. And then adding to that access to resources, information about how to get extra help if one is struggling. And Johnson, I know that um, in the veterinary well-being study, it did point out that the younger veterinarians are often those who struggle the most. We know they come out of school, they have heavy debt loads, they go to work, their pay might not be commensurate with all that education that they have. Can you build on what Elizabeth just said? How do we, how do we help them? And you're also a veterinarian yourself. How do we help these younger vets deal with their mental well-being and their stress? And how do we help others build those cultures of care for our young veterinarians? Yes, just to build on what uh, Dr. Strand just mentioned, I, I would agree there are many resources available today, and we know that those resources work. But sometimes, uh, depending on what type of work environment we are working in, there might not be a guide to those resources or some acknowledgement that those resources are helpful, or even encouragement by some people to say, you know, you know, if sometimes if you're not feeling well, or if there's um, anything that just that you're a little off today, you know, here are some things you can do. So just the acknowledgement that there are situations in which there are tools and resources that can help people feel better, that, that's uh, already a, a big first step, in my opinion. And uh, it's also important for people to, to understand that they're not alone. And uh, if they are feeling like that, you know, it's OK to talk about it. One of the findings of our study was actually that in our first study, we saw that in one of the questions that we had was about um, if all the veterinarians were caring towards uh, those with mental illness and, and the responses were very low in the first one. But we saw on the second study that that number increased quite a bit. So there's been more of a growth in the veterinary community of people that are more caring towards those that are struggling with a mental health issue or just from a well-being standpoint. And I think that applies to all different um, areas of work. We're seeing a lot of corporations, companies that are investing more and more on resources. At Merck, uh, I got an email earlier today um, about an app that's helpful from a mental health standpoint to help with our well-being that's been sponsored and provided to the employees. So that, that's great news. It's more of an a alternative and something else that you can do to help you. So there are resources, and in, in I think that culture of care is just to, to encourage people to search for those resources, to actually look into some different things they can be doing to help them from a mental health standpoint. And we know that those resources actually do help. And you said something that that was very key, and that's that oftentimes people feel alone. And Elizabeth, you had talked to me previously about the recovering mindset and said, we all have the ability to do what we need to do well. And you mentioned RAP, Wellness Recovery Action Plans. Talk to us a little bit more about the recovering mindset and how those RAP plans work. 
since the pandemic occurred, you know, I really have been exploring even more tools that we can all use to help us with our mental health, both for myself and also for the people that I was helping. And one of them was RAP. And uh, RAP stands for Wellness Recovery Action Plan. And it is a set of questions and reflections that help a person identify what are your key behaviors that you need to use to help yourself stay balanced and uh, healthy and well, and more than that, actually moving forward towards your goals in life. And connecting your behaviors for wellness with what your goals are in your life, who you want to be in your life is very motivating and inspiring. And the research supports that when we're able to make decisions for our own well-being that move us towards who we want to be in the world, that it makes us feel happy and makes us feel proud. And so in and of itself starts to build well-being and decrease mental distress. The Wellness Recovery Action Plan can be found actually on any app store, uh, and they have a free app that can be used. And you could even do a culture of care where you get, you know, a few of your peers together and you all complete a wrap together and share it with each other. And you can hold each other accountable for your well-being. I have definitely have friends. If I'm feeling sort of low, they might say, well, did you drink your two big glasses of water this morning? <laughs> you know? And, you know, it, it can become that simple, you know, and we, we sometimes think it needs to be complex, but it, it actually doesn't, you know. It can be as simple as, you know, what I need to do to feel well is I need to, you know, dig in my garden once a week. And just having that clear for yourself and respecting the fact that yours is different than somebody else's and you have your own unique flavor of what you need to be thriving and to be well is, I think, really important. I'd like to just add another tool that I discovered during the pandemic, and, and this also can be accessed free on YouTube. It can be called cardiac coherence or resonant breathing or cardiac entrainment. And it is breathing at a particular pace at 5.5 breaths per minute. If any of you have an iPhone or a Fitbit and you have a breathing app, that is what's leading you through coherent breathing. And doing that about 20 minutes a day can have a significant impact on your feelings of anxiety and stress. So in addition to MBSR tools, I have found the coherent breathing to be something particularly veterinarians um, I'm noticing really, really like. I haven't had a chance to teach it to farmers yet, but I, I suspect it's it's also going to be receptive in that environment as well. Sure. And it's as close as your phone. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Judson, I know you've read several pieces by John Kabat-Zinn and, and you are embracing the mindfulness-based stress reduction. As a veterinarian, what practices have you developed? to manage the stress in your life? I think there are a number of resources, and I think some of those, Dr. Strand mentioned some of the basic ones, right, that are very important for us, such as sleep, spending time with friends, uh, exercise is very important. I've personally been running uh, for a few years, and I think that I find that to be very helpful to manage stress. I think reading has become another habit recently. And uh, as I started to read, I started to get very interested in, in uh, mindfulness. And I've read a 
a number of different books from a number of different authors in the subject and got a lot of different perspectives. But I think one that, that struck me as fascinating was um, the concept by uh, uh, Dr. Uh, John Kabat-Zinn. It's a very unique perspective as with uh, my um, my background more on the technical side, right? I found it interesting that Dr. Kabat-Zinn was able to, to get a concept that's very Eastern from an Eastern culture. It came out from a meditation, from a Buddhism meditation type of approach. And he actually brought that into a Western approach that was very interesting at the University of Massachusetts Medical Center and created MBSR, which is the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, which is um, basically an adaptation of a number of uh, mindfulness techniques that help people to just decrease stress. And I found that to be a very interesting approach to address stress. I personally went through the uh, MBSR program on my own over the last few months. And I, I know that there are different types of programs and that you can go through. And uh, Dr. Strand has taught that herself. I mean, in the classroom setting, I've just um, followed the concept by reading some of the Dr. Kabat-Zinn's work. And I, actually, that there are other types of work that are similar, such as MBCT, which is mindfulness-based cognitive therapy which are very interesting as well. But, but if you go back to MBSR, it's basically um, as you go through the program, and Dr. Strand can help me here, the three main resources that are used during the um, program are um, body scan, which it has different names and different, if you speak with different professionals in the area, they have different names for that, but one is called body scan. Um, there is an approach that, that's used also, um, Dr. Kabat-Zinn highly recommends yoga. As we all know, we've known for a while that yoga is very helpful, right? So, but he also fits that into his uh, program. It's uh, it's somewhat light movements of yoga, not something very advanced, but very helpful to be aware of your feelings, emotions, and uh, body movements as you are going through that process. And just meditation, right? Just uh, regular meditation, sitting meditation that you um, you get exposed to on the course of the program. And it's sometimes starting slowly, starting with limited amount of time and increasing over time up to 45 minutes. So those are some of the tools I've been using myself. I came across other tools, resources, such as Yoga Nidra. That's a very interesting approach to yoga as well, which is uh, more of a laid down approach to yoga that's very um, similar to the body scan process. So those are some of the um, resources that I've, come across over the last couple of years as I've been reading and better understanding mindfulness. And I, obviously, I think as you look at all the different books and programs, I think at the end of the day, we're really, we're really trying to better understand ourselves and be self-aware of our thoughts, our emotions, and uh, not let them impact us in a stressful situation, right? So we're better trained to be able to better respond to the stressors of um, everyday life. Sure. And, and I think that sometimes folks just feel overwhelmed and, and we're each on our own path and in different places in our own journeys. And you've both described those to me as well. And I, I know we often hear it's really important to take care of yourself. And, and as a mom, you know, sometimes I can't even begin to imagine what does that look like when you're so used to caring for others um, and putting others first. Elizabeth, if someone feels overwhelmed, what would you suggest they do? And, and why is self-reflection important? Well, that was so enjoyable to me to listen to Judson, you talk about the MBSR topics 
And, you know, what can a person do when they feel really overwhelmed? And it doesn't take a long time to just notice that you're overwhelmed and to be able to recognize what emotions you're having when you're overwhelmed, to recognize what that's doing to your body. So noticing what it's doing to your heart rate, noticing what's happening to your muscles. That actually doesn't take any time away from doing the dishes, you know, or or taking care of your child. It's how you're living your life. You can live your life outside of your body where you're thinking all the time about the catastrophes that could be coming up or regretting everything that's happened in the past and in a constant state of resistance to the stress in, in, our, in our lives. Or you can learn to manage your stress through self-awareness and subtle but important changes in being able to name your emotions, feeling really angry about something and being able to, to state that then gives you the power, as Judson was saying, to respond to the stresses in your life instead of react to them. So it takes a little bit of um, self-investment to learn the skills. I really am a big believer in in the mindfulness-based stress reduction course. I, I really do believe that everyone should take it. There is actually a website that offers the eight-week protocol with a lot of great resources completely for free, which I think is wonderful from a public health perspective. And then I also recognize that some folks really cannot take the time for that right now because of where they are in their life. And that's when I really do believe that leaning into things like RAP, creating a buddy system where people are holding you accountable and supporting you in your well-being behaviors. And there has to be some attention to the breath because the breath is the most important way that you can influence your nervous system. And so that coherent breathing, you can get a a set of bells that help you pace your breath at five breaths per minute on YouTube. You can just Google coherent breathing and you can come up with bells and you can do that while you're doing the dishes or while you're folding the laundry or while you're driving, because it actually doesn't make you relaxed. It makes you alert and have a positive impact on your nervous system. So as Judson was saying, there are so many resources now available for all of us to, to lean in and take care of ourselves. And many of them are free. And if any of us has the courage to do it, we can create a culture of care for the people that we're around and invite people to do it with us. I love that. So Judson, as I've listened to what you and Elizabeth have shared with us today, I can't help but think about Merck Animal Health Social Responsibility Program on Conditional And I think that several of our pillars, including respect for the veterinary profession, caring to make the world a better place, and and certainly commitment to our customers, kind of fit into this conversation. How do you see these pillars connecting? Yes, I think our um, social responsibility platform is really an opportunity for us to connect with our customers and with society on a deeper level to show them that we care about them, that we care about society, that we're doing all these uh, different initiatives. And we are working with communities to help them. We're working with our employees to help them. We're working with the veterinary profession to help them, supporting our customers beyond products, right? It's about um, showing your commitment with donations, scholarships, programs to help the profession. And uh, as the discussion we're having here today about um, well-being, about providing resources to be able to do those well-being studies shows us our commitment to the veterinary profession, which is a major pillar of our social responsibility platform. 
Some work that we have done at Merck Animal Health was to try to combine some of those resources. A lot of those were uh, provided by Dr. Strand, and we have uh, combined those in our webpage called uh, vetwellbeing.com, and you can actually find the information about the two first uh, Merck Animal Health Veterinary Wellbeing Studies that are available in that webpage as well. So there are lots of resources that are helpful to address mental health and uh, psychological distress in that webpage. I agree. So Elizabeth, as our time together comes to a close, what thought would you like to leave our listeners with? Um, You're not alone. Wherever you are in your experience of your own mental health, mental distress, well-being, you are not alone. There is someone who gets what you're going through and you can take a step to live the life that you want to live and to be the person you want to be. And so you can just take that first step with some of the resources that we've mentioned. I just think it's a birthright for every human being to be able to live into who they who they really want to be. So no one is alone and uh, just take that first step. I love that. Judson and Elizabeth, thank you for joining me today as we examine this very important topic of well-being and how we can take better care of ourselves. I hope everyone has learned a little something today. And thank you to all of you who are listening. I hope you continue to follow our podcast, Caring for Animals and Creating Trust. And you can also find out more about what we're doing on the Veterinary and Consumer Affairs team at our website at Merck Animal Health. The address will be in the notes of this podcast, and we'll also list some of these MBSR resources that Elizabeth and Judson talked about. Until next time, I hope you all take care of yourselves and your friends and your family. 